James chapter 1, verse 16. This is one of the scriptures we've been using uh, during our series. It says, do not be misled. My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father. Spoke about luck a few minutes ago. It didn't, you, it's not because fortune that you have blessings in your life. It's because of God. It's not because someone wished you luck. It's because God blessed you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Talked a little bit about that last week, that God is absolutely solid, worthy of our trust. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, out of all creation, out of the Grand Canyon, come on, think of somewhere beautiful, think of like the Niagara Falls, out of all creation, we became his prized possession. I, I don't know if you've ever been to the Niagara Falls before, somewhere like that. I haven't been to the Grand Canyon, but I, but I've been told it's just majestic. But I remember going to the to the to the uh, Niagara Falls when I was a teenager and just being hammered by how glorious and beautiful it was. But guess what? A believer, one single believer, is prized by God more than something beautiful that He created like that. You are more treasured to God than that. And part of this thing that we're going to talk about tonight and talk about identity. Last week we hit a little bit talking about the orphan spirit, right? Remember that? We talked a little bit about that. One of the things that is an orphan spirit is insecurity. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, don't look at me like that. <laughs> right? Because that's what insecurity says, right? Oh, do I, if I could look a little better, if I could be this, if I could do this, if I could do this, I could just feel good about myself. But I can tell you that insecurity is an orphan spirit, It's rooted in fear, yet it comes down to identity and finding our value in belonging to God. See, people people that struggle with insecurity find too much value in the opinions of the outside world, right? They trust the world to say, hey, I'll feel better about myself. Today will be better because of something that happened outside. But listen, security is an inside job, just like happiness. Did you know happiness is an inside job? I can't make you happy. No human can make you happy. Only God can make you happy. Only God can give you true joy. Well, you just don't know. It doesn't matter. Happiness is an inside job. You get the inside right and the outside follows. Insecurities have nothing to do with your exterior world. Insecurities have to do with one thing. You're not confident in who you are in God. See, the enemy has a strategy. He knows, he knows how we are. Did you know that? The enemy knows you. He knows things that bother you. He knows, you know, God knows how to make you tick, and the devil knows how to make you ticked off, right? The devil knows how to, to push your buttons, if you will. And one of the things that, there's two things, really, that the enemy will come in and will accuse you with, because he is the accuser. There's two questions that he always asks Whenever he's accusing, first one is he questions what God says, right? The Garden of Eden, did God really say, right? All started off with a question because that's what the devil does. Well, if they really loved you, then if they were really your friend, come on. If they were really a Christian, if you were really a Christian, if you really love God, so this is, 
the devil because he'll, first of all, question what God says. And secondly, he'll say, he'll question what God says about you. He'll question your identity. He'll question who you are. See, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, in Scripture we see when Jesus was tempted, and we're not going to get deep into that tonight, but the question that, the first question that he asked Jesus every time he approached him, of all three times, he said what? If you're the Son of God. Right? That's just the way the enemy works. He's not like, you're not the Son of God. He goes, so if you're the Son of God, why don't you do A, B, and C? Jump through this hoop over here. Right? If you are the son. See, I believe the enemy will come into our lives and he'll say, if you were a child of God. And so what we've got to do in overcoming the enemy, whether it be thought processes, whether it be heart issues, what we've got to learn is who we are. We've got to understand our identity, who you are in Jesus. Who are you? The problem, see, the problem is not that the enemy comes to you and speaks and accuses and allures you because he wouldn't be attacking you if you were no threat to his kingdom. See, I have this old saying uh, that I've been saying for a long time. If the devil's not on your back, it's because he's on your side. So if you have hardships and things are coming at you, difficulties are coming and things are tough and you struggle sometimes and it's like you can't, it seems like every time you turn around, it's like right there, that issue is right there. Listen, the enemy only is going to attack you if you're worth his time. Come on. So don't think that something's wrong with you because the enemy is attacking you. Listen, I'm not saying you give in. If you're giving in all the time, then something is wrong with you. But I'm saying if there is always the enemy is coming and attack and attack and attack and attack, it's not because something's wrong with you. It's because something is right within you. It's because God is inside of you. It's because God is, is revealing and bringing judgment. Listen to this, bringing judgment on the enemy through your life. So what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you distracted. And let me just say this about the enemy. He will just be satisfied with one little piece of you. The enemy will be satisfied with you having one issue. And see, we're just like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good, but I have this one issue. The enemy's satisfied with one issue, just a little bit. But see, God won't be satisfied until he has all of us. The enemy will be satisfied with just a little bit of us, but God will only be satisfied when he has all of us. Isn't that good? It's because he loves us, right? The enemy just wants to distract, to be a problem. So it's not what's wrong with you that is attacking you. It's what's right within you. First Peter, speaking of this issue of identity, First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, says this. Listen, this whole thing, this is right before, notice that Jesus gets baptized, and immediately after he gets baptized, understand this, Immediately after he gets baptized, we hear a voice from heaven. We're going to talk about it in a minute. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And then it says immediately that the Spirit of God led him in the desert to be tempted by the enemy. So it was like his Jedi trials, right? It was like all of a sudden, here he gets baptized, and his ministry is going to start. Before his ministry starts, here comes the temptation. Well, why was the temptation coming so strong? Because the enemy wanted to stop him for the next three years of things that he was going to do. Are you with me? And then we know that there's seasons, and listen, there will be seasons that the enemy will kind of pull back. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He will come back, probably not in that area, but he will come back, okay? This wasn't the only time Jesus was tempted, but it probably was the most difficult. 
other than Golgotha. First Peter chapter two, verse four, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a priest. I'm a priest. People of God are priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and then and they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. So he's talking about these people that are struggling, that are dealing with all these issues, and then he says, but you're not like that. Not you. Look at your neighbor and say, not you. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possessions. There's that word again. Aren't you glad you belong to Jesus? God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you were God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you've received not just mercy, but God's mercy. Dear friends, I warned you as temporary residents and foreigners. One translation says as aliens and strangers to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong. They will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. I love this passage and, it, and it, we're going to break it down a little bit tonight. But I want to talk for a few minutes tonight about because God is your daddy. Who are you? If, I, if you went and you asked Judah, who are you? He'd probably give you a list. But you know, Judah is my son. He is the son of Josh and Leslie Brown, right? You talk to Mariah, that is part of their identity. Now, it's different when you belong to God because he's all-consuming, right? So it's like we are the people that belong to God. And because God is our daddy, he totally transforms our DNA. He totally transforms who we are. He changes our identity. So because God is your daddy, number one, you are approved, and when we talk about approval in the kingdom of God, we're not talking about, you know, that letter that you get or that phone call you get from that company and they're like, you've been pre-approved for this amount of dollars or for this car loan. Y'all ever got one of those before? You've been pre-approved. And then you're call, you call and you're like, cool, I'm pre-approved. Can I get your social security number? I need to run a credit check. I thought you said I was pre-approved. See, God doesn't play games like that. When God says you're approved, it's not a pre-qualified letter. It's the real deal. You're approved. It's not like, well, maybe he's unsure about it. He needs to run a credit check. He needs to check your track record. No, you're approved. You're already approved. It's not because of anything that you do that you're approved in God's eyes. 
It's because of what Jesus has done. So our approval comes from Jesus. Listen, you are not a victim. You do not eat scraps. You feast on God's abundance because God's abundance is your abundance. You're his kid. The fact that I was talking to Ben on the way over here tonight, we were talking, I said, you know, the fact that God picks us, the very fact that God picked you makes you royalty. A royal God picked you, brings you into his family. You are now royalty. Come on. Royalty. Dang it. That's good. Come on. Now I'm preaching better than your amen. You are royalty. Listen, that word where it says up there that you are a chosen people, or one translation says a chosen generation. The, the word there in the Greek is called eklektos. Eklektos. And that's where we get the word elect. Right? So when you go to the ballot and you see your favorite person on the ballot and you punch that hole, you or you make a hole in that card, you eclectos them. You chose them. You picked them. They were your guy. So when God picks you, he picks you the same way. Pop. That's the one I want. It's like when I was a kid, I remember I would put my value in this. We'd go out, all the kids run out. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to go to PE, right, and play kickball. And I remember, you know, Josh Brown, little daddy out there, Standing out there with all the other kids, you know, when I, it was funny when I was a kid, I was sh- pretty short. I wasn't like the tallest kid in my class. You probably would have thought different now, but I wasn't. And I remember all the kids there, and I remember them playing kickball, and, you know, I wasn't real good at sports and stuff, so I always got picked last. But I remember thinking as a little kid, I mean, like, man, I wonder what it feels like to be that kid that got picked first, right? You know, I know Eli was picked first. I know that he loved that. And so, uh, so anyway, you know, it's always the, the strongest, more buff kids that, that get picked first, the, the ones that are already, like, playing sports. They're the ones that get picked first. But listen, God picks you first. He chooses you. And the fact that he chooses you makes you royalty, elected. Now, that, that, that word there actually means selected by implication of favorite. So God picks you because you're his favorite. You're his choice. This week I went to QT to get me a soda, right? I walk in, and you guys know how it is. Like, I, I walk in, I look at the guy, I'm like, you guys need more choices. <laughs> like, like, are you serious? Like, how many of these do you have to sell to provide for your menu? And I'm, like, freaking out. They have 4,000 sodas, 15 different kinds of ice, 18,000 lids, and 14 straws, right? And you, you've got to go in, and you've got to first decide what cup you're going to get, the size, which they're all, like, over 40 ounces, I think. And then you have to pick your soda, and then if you want to put a flavor in that soda, you get to pick your ice, what kind of ice you want, which I really like, because I like the crushed ice. Oh, come on, somebody. And so, like, I'm going through, and I'm, you know, and I go over there, and I don't know which lid to pick, because which one matches my cup, and they're not labeled. I'm free out. I'm getting anxious while I'm trying to get my big Coke Zero. Well, my favorite thing to get when I go to these places is the Coke Zero, right? Oh, come on, somebody. So I see the Coke Zero. I'm like, oh, yeah, living fountain right there. So I get my 44 ounce or 32, whichever one I get, and I fill it up with the crushed ice, my favorite, and then I fill it up with my favorite soda, Coke Zero, <laughs> right? 
It's calorie-free, but we know it's still not good for me. Put the lid, go pay for it, and I'll leave. So the reason why I picked that ice, the reason why I picked that soda is because that's my favorite. It's, all these others are there, but that is the one that I want. And when God picks you, that's the way it is. He has other choices. He could have picked somebody else to do what you're supposed to do, but you are his favorite for that. See, God picked us to come and be here in Grand Prairie and launch Overflow Church. He picked us. He could have picked someone else. And sometimes I'm kind of wondering, God, <laughs> I mean, I love what we got going on, but really? Did you pick me to do this? Yes, he did. And he picked us to do this because we're his favorite for this. So when God picks you, it's based on his goodness, not yours. It's not because you're a calorie-free soda. It's because it's the soda that he prefers, and it's out of his goodness that he selects you. Actually, it is because you're a calorie-free soda. Okay, anyway. So most people, what they do is they try to find approval through accomplishments. Oh, come on. Work real hard at all the things. I'm not bashing hard work. We love hard work. We love diligence. We love good work ethic. But many people find approval through accomplishments or how many people know their name, how many people laugh at their jokes, how many people retweet their posts, how many people like their status, how many people call on their birthday, how many other people say that they look pretty today because they put a lot of time into it. Most people value value like that. They find value like that. And that may be how the world measures approval. But my God approves of you before you do one single thing. My God approves of you. Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized. We know the story. Jesus shows up. John the baptizer is there. John the Baptist. He's baptizing people. He's the first Baptist ever. And so there's John the Baptist. He's baptizing people. Wasn't really a Baptist. But he's baptizing people. Everybody's like, this dude's weird. He's bizarre. He's out there, right? He's John the Baptist. He's got like funky hair. He stinks because he don't wear no deodorant. He's eating like locusts. He doesn't have beard trend. He's like funky. He's John the Baptist. And he's baptizing people for repentance. And Jesus shows up who doesn't need to repent. And he's like, John, you need to baptize me. And John's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, Jesus. You need to be baptizing me because they knew each other because they were cousins. So he baptizes Jesus, says, well, you know, in order for all righteousness to be fulfilled, you need to baptize me. And then it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened. Now, I love that, you know, because we, we, we get the bird thing and we get the voice. But like heaven opened. Like, I think the only thing that like we could recognize, you guys know, like on the Avengers, when space opened up and like we saw that portal, it was probably something like that close. It was probably way more awesome than that. But it's like heaven open. And then it says that light came upon him. Let me read it. The spirit of God and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It was like a dove. And light lighting on him. So he, the glory of God fills him. And then a voice from heaven. There's three times that God speaks verbally that everybody else can hear it in the life of Jesus and two of those times was to emphasize his approval of Jesus. And this was the first time. He says, this is my son who I love, and him I am well pleased. So this is Jesus 
getting baptized. He hasn't overcome the enemy in the desert yet. He hasn't, as far as we know, which I think that we've, we should have known this, this would have been important. As far as we know, no blind eyes were opened. No paralyzed people were healed. No dying on the cross. No overcoming the devil. None of that happens yet. Jesus comes out of the water and Jesus says, and God says, this is my son in him I'm pleased. Approval comes before performance. Bringing God pleasure does not come from performance. It comes from position. See, we don't function for God's approval. We function from it. See, when you recognize that you are approved by God, you perform better. Right? If I go out and my kids aren't into sports, but if Judah was running track or something, and I I told him, son, I'm proud of you, before the race ever starts, he's going to run better. He's going to want to prove his daddy right. Because I'm going to be out there and be like, yeah, it's my boy. Is that your son? Sorry, man. Another day. God bless you. Come visit our church. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Something like that. Right? I'd be all ugly. But he's going to perform better just because his daddy's already approving of him. So we don't function for God's approval. We function from his approval. Listen, God's already picked you. You're in the kingdom for such a time as this. God's already picked you. You're already his favorite. He already is all over you. He already loves you crazy. You're not going to do anything to, to change that. You're not going to do anything to change that. Now, your perception of that will grow as you function in it. Because what happens, you're like, okay, I think God is proud of me. I think God has pleasure in me. Then you start running, and you're like, he really does? Right? You're like, hey, I am fast. I didn't even know how to run yesterday, right? So, because God is your daddy, you're approved. Number two, because God is your daddy, you're an anointed saint. You are, look at your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. Now, listen, I'm not talking about a football team. I'm talking about a saint. I'm talking about for real. I'm talking about, you know, those people that they put on candles. I'm talking about those people that they make like uh, stained windows out of. You're a saint. See, all of us should have like a little token made of us because we're all saints. Listen, I'm not bashing on people. <laughs> when God, and, and this is what we get all the time, okay? Uh, let me back up. I'm going to get there and just say it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. You who were once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless. Oh, look out. As you stand before him without a single fault, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Do not drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you belong to God, you're anointed. 
Once you belong to God, once the approval letter has been signed, come on, which it was on the day of your redemption, are you with me? Once you belong to God, you're anointed. You're an anointed saint. We hear a lot about the anointing. You are anointed. Whatever you think it means. We like spooky words. Once you belong to God, you're sacred. If something belongs to God, well, this is what we call things, right? We call them holy because it's something that's been devoted to God. You devoted yourself to God. You're holy. You're God's. Right? It's not because of what you do. It's because of who you are. Right? Because of who you are, that's how you live. Word? Now, there's a statement that's been around for centuries, and they're like, we're just sinners saved by grace. I know. Or, like, you know, I have people, it's, it's funny how, like, all the, like, religious people that aren't really probably even saved say it all the time. They're all, well, you know, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Well, we all were sinners, but now we're saved by grace. Because I always want to slap people when they tell me that because I, I want to be like, I'm not no sinner. You'd be like, ooh, 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 what about what it says, ooh. Because everybody's going to pull out the first Timothy scripture, right? Ooh. Paul said he's the chief among sinners. Why don't you go back and you read that whole chapter? Because Paul was talking about his history. He was referencing his history. He was like, I was the worst of sinners. I was killing all these people, but now... This is what I do. This is how I function. This is how I roll. Believers, did you know that you as a believer, that as the body of Christ, we are referred to as saints over 40 times in the New Testament? 40 times. You're a saint. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. You're not a sinner. Everybody say that. I'm not a sinner. I've been saved by grace. So by grace, you're not a sinner anymore. By grace, you are now a saint. So when, next time somebody say, I'm going be, like, mm. be like, I'll straighten you out. He listen to this podcast. Come <laughs> church, you heathen. <laughs> you may be a sinner, but I'm not. I told that to a guy one time. And listen, there's a right way, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. There's a right way and a wrong way to correct people. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> we're all just sinners saved by grace. Oh, not me. Right? Come on, there's a right way to be a good ambassador. Come on. So number one, because God is your daddy, you're approved. Because God is your daddy, you're an anointed saint. And because God is your daddy. You are, you are royal ambassadors. Now, this is good right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Paul says that we are therefore, he re- refers to us as Christ's ambassadors. We, collectively, the kingdom. As, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, an ambassador is the highest rank of representative of the king in this world. That's what an ambassador is. So the highest ranking 
representative of the king is his ambassador. So he's the one that goes and takes care of the business for the king. He represents the king. It's the highest rank representative you can find ambassadors. So Paul uses this term. He calls us ambassadors. We are high ranked. What does that mean? We are royal. We're royal because God picked us and we are his ambassadors. So when you go and you say something, you don't have to say it like this because you, you, this is your identity. This is who you are. I mean, you know, that every time I walk into the room, I'm not like, I'm Josh Brown. I just want everybody to know it. Right? I don't have to do that. You don't have to announce your name. You know, I'm the pastor at Overflow Church. I don't, I don't do that. I don't announce myself with a title. Are you with me? So you don't have to walk into the room and be like, I represent God. But you got to know that you do. You don't want to be going around bossing people. I represent the Lord because you know what they're going to do? Well, I represent the Lord too. And the Lord ain't saying that. So don't be stupid, but get who you are. Right? You don't want to be, we don't want to be stupid. Right? That don't work. I know your kids aren't here. We can say the word stupid. <laughs> All right. We are royal ambassadors to our world. We represent a king. Listen, we represent a king from a different world. We are children of God. Positionally, we are to the world was what it, to what Jesus was when he was on the world. As Jesus was on the earth, so are we now. So Jesus was the prototype for what life looks like while being in right relationship with your father, with your heavenly father. And Jesus was an ambassador, right? Jesus was represented. I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father saying. This is how Jesus functioned. He was the ambassador to the earth for God. So, what does that mean, I'm a royal ambassador? What does it mean? Well, first of all, it means you're royal. You're not just a representative. You're a royal representative. You have royalty. Do you get that? You're kingly in your life. I don't feel like I'm kingly. Well, you need to. Because wealth has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. And neither does poverty. Let me tell you right now. Poverty has zero to do with dollars. Zero. Poverty has to do with the spirit. Wealth, same thing. Nothing to do with how much money you have. You know what wealth has to do with? Generosity. Oh, come on, somebody. Let me get back on this. So as ambassadors, I've got sub points here. You ready? Number one. We have kingly etiquette. We have kingly etiquette. You guys ever been around somebody that's like rich in the world's eyes? Do you feel like stupid around them because they function different than you do? I remember when Leslie and I went, later we got married, we went on our cruise, and we're like, we sat down at this table, and they had like 14 forks and 11 spoons and like two knives, right? And I'm like, why are they giving me so many options? <laughs> Just need one, right? Because there's an etiquette about the way that you eat because those things are set up for people with money, right? <laughs> and somebody else paid for that trip, you know what I'm saying? So we get there and we sit there and we're like, oh, we dress differently when we go to those dinners. You can't get in there unless you dress a certain way. And you function different. 
and you may have never been there before, you're going to go in, you're going to function differently than you ever have. Why? Because kings have a different etiquette than noble, noble people. We're royalty, guys. We function different than the world around us. There's an etiquette that we have. We're kinder, we're nicer, we're sweeter. Christians are known for being lousy tippers and being mean-spirited and judgmental and critical. Now listen, we have standards. Absolutely, we have standards. But this should not be our reputation. We're kingly. We have royal etiquette, kingly etiquette. We do not live as common men do. We have a code, a standard, not because we are better than anybody else, but because we belong to God. It's that subtleness that walks in and say, you need to, listen, you need to be thinking about God all the time. We have these little boxes. We're like church box, Jesus box. Going to the grocery store, customer box. No, 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 no. Right? I got all these rights as a customer. I'm buying your food. No, 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 no. You are always God's child. You are always a representative of the king of glory. You are always that person. Always. You're that way to your kids. You're that way when it's just me and you. You're that way when you're in the pulpit. You're in that way when you're in the prayer closet. You're in that way when you're driving down the highway. Come on, somebody. You represent Jesus. So the question is not do you represent him or not. The question is how are you representing him? What is your etiquette like? We need to start acting like royalty. Secondly, we have kingdom authority. Oh. Come on now. Now when you're a king, you have some authority, right? We have authority. And listen, this is an authority to demand, disgrace, or dictate, but it's an authority to empower. You hear me? You don't get to, well, I'm God's child, so you have to do what I say. No, 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 no. You're God. I'm God's child, so I have, the, I have the authority to say, in the name of Jesus, be healed, get up, and walk. I have the authority to say, I mean, I have much money, but I have something better than money. I have the power of God. Let me pray for you. I have the kingdom authority to forgive people when they do me wrong. I have that kind of authority. We have permission to treat others right when they wrong us because we belong to Jesus. And when you get the revelation that you belong to good God, it's all good. You're like, oh, well, they were so mean to me, but I belong to God. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you're like, those little big old things become very little in the sight of understanding that you belong to God, that you have kingdom authority, forgiveness, kindness, golden ruleness. I was thinking about this today. I think I'm going to do a series one of these days called The Golden Rule, but not the rule like it's the rule I have to keep, but it's how I live. It's how I dominate darkness. I do it with the golden rule. Are you with me? So we have golden ruleness, right? We treat others not just the way that we want to be treated. We treat others better than we treat ourselves. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. People are like, what? He's like, yeah. People that hate you, people that slap you around, all that kind of stuff, you love them. What about my rights? Dead men don't have rights. See, we died to that old, ugly, corrupt, carnal, mean, spoiled, ungrateful nature. We died to it. So we're not spoiled brats. I'm God's child. You don't get it. That's how victims act. Orphan. 
That's just what I want to say when Christians are acting like that. Orphan? Did you forget who you are? I would never say that to someone. It's like a cuss word. Orphan! (laughs) Jack me up. Okay. I actually was sitting in a meeting one time, and a guy said that. Like, he was talking about, like, this this m- the way that people think. And I was like, oh, man, I think just like that. And he was like, you orphan? And I was like, oh. But I'm not an orphan. I'm a child, but I can't think like an orphan. I can't function like an orphan. I'm an ambassador. And the third thing, it's the last point tonight, is we bring kingly value when I, I told you guys a few minutes ago, the other day when I went into QT to get this soda, I put gas in my car and I'm walking in and there's this lady, you know, and she's walking in and I always try to treat people good, you know, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I, I just really do. I try to be good to people. And so I'm walking in and I hold the door open for her because that's what royalty people do. It's not just cr- cr- courtesy in the United States or in Texas to do that. It's just it's what it's what ambassadors do. So I hold the door open for the lady and she walks in and as she's walking in and I could tell that like she was like, you know, kind of like not playing with a full deck of cards. You know what I'm saying? Like the gas tank wasn't full. Like she was, you know, all the lights were on, but nobody's home. I could tell that like she wasn't really functioning. And I'm not trying to be rude, but she was just, she was not functioning properly. She was dressed kind of, you know, a little bit different. And, and you know, you could just kind of tell. I didn't notice that. Until after she passes me and she goes, oh, I really like that shirt on you today. And I was like, well, thank you. <laughs> right? And I was all like, you're going to get my soda now and try to make a decision. And so I go in and, you know, this whole process of getting a soda, which is just way overwhelming. And I watch this lady in the store and I'm sitting here just watching her. And she's going around. She's complimenting everybody in the store. And she's like, oh, that looks really good on you today. And she was just, I mean, she was, I was like, man. I mean, I was like getting inspired by this woman, you know, because, I mean, most people would look at her and say, she has no value. No, she gets it because she's finding her value in bringing value, not someone complimenting her. And even me, I, you know, I didn't think anything about her being, you know, a little bit different. All I thought is, wow, I felt really good. And then she passed by, and then I observed her, and I thought, oh, But here's this woman going around, would be considered in the kingdom we would call the least of these. And that's not an insulting thing. I know I said some things that were maybe kind of a little insulting. I'm sorry if I offended you. And here she is finding value and making others feel better. And I thought, that's royalty. That's royalty. I got convicted. I was like, oh, dang. We destroy the darkness by loving the world. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, everybody wants a king like Jesus. See, everybody wants a king like Jesus. They might not know they want a king like Jesus, but they do. One of the main reasons why people don't want a king like Jesus is because the people that represent Jesus haven't always done a real good job about that, and I'm not bride bashing. You guys know that. But being a good ambassador does not come from ambition or determination. It comes from a response of children who know who they are 
and they function in that reality. I'm God's. There's a story I want to close with tonight. I've shared this story, I don't know, probably a dozen times. And it's about this little boy and this soldier, and it's at the end of World War, World War II. If you want to come up, Nathan, you can. Nathan can. Nathan, if you want to come up, Nathan, you can. And it says, <clears throat> the story says it's the end of World War II, and, you know, there's all this rubble around, and there's, you know, probably still smoke coming up from the buildings, and, you know, everything is being cleaned out, and there were many orphan children in, this, in the cities and the streets uh, picking up ruins, going through rubble, finding food, all this kind of stuff, all these orphan kids. And the story goes on to say that one morning that an American soldier was driving his Jeep through these streets. And he's driving through these streets, and he's going to get breakfast. And he decides to go to this pastry shop here in Europe. And he sees this little kid, this little orphan, just peering through the window at this pastry shop. And he pulls up in his Jeep, and the kid looks back at him, and his eyes are lit up, you know. He's looking at donuts. Probably weren't donuts, but you know what I'm saying. Some kind of donut. We'd call it a donut. And he's freaking out. He's thinking, man, I would really like to see, I'd really like to taste some of these donuts. And this American soldier gets out of his Jeep, goes in, buys some donuts, comes back and gives the kid a box of these donuts. Starts to take off. And the guy says, Mr., he looks up at him, this kid's with this box of donuts, and he's looking at this guy, and he goes, Mister, are you God? Are you God? Because he didn't know that anybody could be that kind but God. I believe that many times that's not the question we get asked. We get more the question of what's wrong with you? believers, right? What's wrong? Why would you be like that? Why would you be ugly? And the answer to that would be because we're not walking in the reality of who we are. We're not walking in the reality that I'm a child of God. I am royalty. I am an ambassador for God. I am his rep. I have no idea about this man's faith in this story, but I know that through his goodness <clears throat> that it made this boy inspired, it made this boy think that he was God. And I'm thinking, man, could we do a better job at the things? But I'm not wanting to focus on the things tonight. I'm not talking about the donuts so much, but I'm talking about the identity of the man that finds value in giving this. How does he feel about himself? talking about us tonight. How do we see ourselves? Are we functioning like children? And listen, I know that there might be points in the message tonight that are meant maybe maybe feel convicting. That That's not the, the, the point tonight. The point is, is who are you? What does God think about you? What do, what do you think God thinks about you? 